shopping. Something we all do on a regular basis. And probably not something you'd imagine could be a window into the workings of a smart city. But where you shop, how long you spend in a store, what you buy, even how you got to the mall, are all examples of what a smart city analyzes in a continuous bid to improve the lives of its citizens. While the vision of a smart city is gleaming skyscrapers, clean streets, sustainable green recreation areas and efficient transportation, all the potential of that big infrastructure relies on much smaller elements, connectivity and data. Built on a backbone of fiber and extending to every part of the city, they help deliver efficiency and safety across all systems, often in real time. Forget about rock and roll, smart cities are built on connectivity and data. We start this episode inside Waterfall, and with someone who's right at the forefront of the city's connectivity programs. I'm Coogan Govender, Managing Executive for Waterfall Access Networks. Coogan, I think most people have got an idea of connectivity in a very broad sense. You know, we all know about 4G and we've heard about 5G and we know about Wi-Fi. But what kind of connectivity are we talking about to make a smart city work? I think the baseline infrastructure would be a urban fiber network, uh, citywide, connecting each operative part of the city or every land parcel. And overlaid on that, you would need an IoT network. What Coogan is referring to with IoT is the Internet of Things. An IoT network refers to devices that communicate with each other to measure and share information on the state of those devices or their environment. With that in mind, I asked Coogan to outline what currently goes into making up the network at Waterfall. I think with Waterfall, we've been ahead of the game in most uh, mixed-use developments or most residential developments as well as commercial developments. The relevance to what we've done there has started long before the top structure development went in. So the planning, the urban planning around connectivity as a utility, and I think that's where everybody's heading with it. Connectivity as a utility is essential. If you get the design and infrastructure right, that's incorporated into our master plan, which is part of the urban design. So I'm constantly looking at what's trending internationally, and we're pretty much up there with the best. Apart from just uh, rolling out these networks, we've built in the resilience into that network as well as the protection and redundancy full scale. So when I say full scale, it's not just the connectivity network. We're challenged with a lot of challenges within Africa and South Africa particularly, and we've tried to mitigate those risks by catering for all of those uh, challenges. The network that Coogan describes is the starting point for the data collection that Waterfall undertakes. Just how that data is collected depends on what's being tracked, and it can be done via cameras, IoT sensors, usage meters, and even the MAC addresses on mobile phones. Vili Foss, CEO of the Waterfall Management Company, expands on the kinds of data that is being collected. We split it into two components. There's the residential data management component, which is all about the residents in the um, estates, etc. And then there's the commercial database. As far as the residential component is concerned, the data management helps us to know how many people have obviously are on site at any given point in time. We know how much water is being used um, every month. Uh, we know Not all the electricity usage yet, um, but we are in the process of um, getting there. And then together with that, there's the sewer management and also um, 
litter management. We got a, a litter trap in the Yekske River where uh, that's not necessarily the individual people's data, but the data that we get from all the litter that we catch. So there's a whole subset of aspects that we are looking at. Another part of Waterfall's data collection comes from the commercial side. Uh, Michael Clampett, I'm the Asset Management Executive for the JSC listed Real Estate Investment Trust, Attack Limited. For Michael, there is such a thing as too much data. From a commercial point of view, every bit gathered needs to have a benefit. Also on our journey in designing a smart city or what, what we could term a smart city, uh, you sometimes have a lot of ideas and a lot of input and they could be pretty gimmicky if you don't really understand the commercial benefit behind them. I mean, uh, monitoring a door that opens and closes at a bathroom at Mall of Africa, you must be able to argue whether there's real value in measuring that and, and creating an algorithm that can then, uh, you know, monitor that. And so we see sort of internally a lot of this, we have to assess whether the data and then Putting that into some form of analytics actually yields uh, something that we can action on. And, and does that action yield some sort of commercial benefit? In the end, it all adds up to a few different data streams being generated. And across an entire city, even one like Waterfall that isn't yet fully complete, it amounts to a lot of data. Or as Deborah Lamb, executive director of the U.S.'s Partnership for Inclusive Innovation, puts it. We are drowning in data. As Deborah explains, though, having a lot of data isn't the be-all and end-all. It's what you do with it and how you manage it with regards to privacy that are the important bits. Obviously, you need to think about how that data is being collected and making sure that it's within proper data you know, engagement of whoever the users are. But also there is data privacy issues and, of course, you know, security when it comes to that. But it's a matter of how we actually process and utilize that data. And then, of course, how we secure and uh, protect that data. How exactly do you keep data private? Coogan gives us a technical explanation. That data needs to sit between a protective phase. So a protective phase means in the technology side of things, you need to make sure you receive that data in the context that you want to receive it. It's protected and not not allowing any intrusion into that data. And there are technologies that do that very well. And I'll, I'll allude to an example. So if we had to take Sigfox or LoRa, and then you get pl- private LoRa. So private LoRa is sorry. A, what are what are Sigfox and LoRa? So Sigfox and, and LoRa are IoT technologies. I, I like to refer to it as IOE. So the Internet of Everything. I mean, that's where we essentially <laughs> going with it. You should you should you should copyright that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a common catchphrase at this stage because everybody's trying to connect everything to yeah. the internet. Yeah. And um, essentially, if we take private LoRa, so I'm I'm leaning towards a private LoRa type of technology purely because it resides within the, the the confines of the boundaries of waterfall, and we can privatize that network to reside within our data center beyond the relevant firewalls and the physical security, the camera networks, access controls, and the rest of it. But how do you transmit that data safely? Within that private network is very important. And some of those technologies, and I don't want to say one's better than the other, but some of those technologies does offer option that you can guarantee certain levels of integrity to the data transmission to ensure that there's been no intrusion in the transmission and what you're receiving at the other end is quality data. Apart from all the noise in the air at the moment around Poppy, I think it's important that we ensure users that there's no leak or data leaks in, in that respect. And the data that's being collected, you know, a lot of it will be sort of Mac address from cell phones and, you know, other, other kind of information. But also there's, it sounds like there's more reliance, for want of a better word, on things like facial recognition and biometrics. Is that data all protected in the same way? I mean, it's difficult to conceptualize how 
facial recognition is anonymous. You know what I mean? How do you get around that? I think it's twofold. One is if the user accesses or attempts to access a precinct, there's a disclaimer in place to say, well, you give us permission to access your, your facial recognition or your number plate recognition, whatever the case might be, once you enter the boundaries of that space. Further to that, that data, once, once it's captured, needs to reside within an environment that's protected. But when I say twofold, one is that we don't let that data leak, but two, if you contain that data in the integrity that you've captured it, it's beneficial for whatever reason that something went wrong and that person that entered that precinct was up to no good and we then caught the person out. You can only prosecute with that information if it's been watermarked to ensure that there's no data leak or it has been transmitted with the relevant data integrity that, that it was intended with. Once the data is collected securely, the next job is to make sure it works for the benefit of the city. That's down to data analytics. And like so many things in life, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing properly. Everything that data is not the be-all and end-all for all of it. It's what is the use case and how do you collate that data and how do you repurpose that data to bring about efficiency. The ultimate goal of connectivity and the data that it delivers is to improve the lives of the city's population. And Waterfall has a few concrete examples of just how that's done for both residents and businesses. First, a real example of how the data generated inside Mall of Africa helped improve a retailer's bottom line. Not just in Waterfall, but but in all our assets, we've got uh, Wi-Fi networks that does behavioral analytics. It does it in a completely anonymous manner. It's not invasive, and and so we're more in, like interested in the collective behaviors. And through these collective behaviors, we can pick up patterns and changes in patterns. So that specific example was a retailer. We saw that the bounce rate, as we defined it, was very high. And so uh, if someone entered and left that same premises within 30 seconds, we counted that as a bounce. Uh, and that was almost 300% or three times the average for, for the mall. We engaged the specific retailer. We realized that uh, in terms of the design of the store, as you walked in, you immediately could see the tool section, but also they had a mono queue uh, system. So uh, a customer could quickly judge that, you know, it's going to take forever to get out of there. They changed the, the layout of the store slightly without changing a lot of infrastructure. And within two months, we saw that rate drop by about 250% because once again, we could directly link the, the customer's perception as they enter to, to that specific metric, which was bounce. Vili Force has a few more examples. At the moment, I must say, some of it, uh, we are still busy developing the the processes, but if we know that uh, on a Monday morning, for argument's sake, there's lesser people at the mall, uh, we send a message to people to say, well, you can now go, and you know maybe parking is free for the next two hours or so. Um, as far as the rest of the management is concerned, we have a, an app where people can report snags. So the snags that they may see, a bottle or anything that's out of the order, can be reported on that snag uh, list or on the app. Um, the management gets the report real time, and they can then act much quicker, and we can feed that information back to the residents as well. There's uh, a number of aspects around our litter management as well, but that's more a communication thing. We know, for example, that um, before we built a litter trap in the river, we were on a monthly basis uh, taking out about 100 
to 200 cubic meters per month. After we installed that litter trap, we are now some months, especially in the summer months, uh, collecting over 500 cubic meters of litter. So what we then do is we, uh, we now starting to use that on a, with waste management and recycling uh, of it. So to a certain extent, because all the residents are contributing to this. So where we can and we can get an income, it reduces the cost ultimately of, of what we uh, have to do. Connectivity and data are delivering solutions for shoppers and business owners, residents and advertisers. In the not-too-distant future, they'll also be able to assist with the health of buildings and structures and human well-being. I'm Chris Gilby. I'm the chairman and CEO of Imagine Intelligent Materials. Imagine, based in Australia, is one of the first companies to take advantage of a relatively new material called graphene, which has the ability to turn any surface into a smart surface. It's the most electrically conductive material known to man. It's the most thermally conductive material known to man. It's stronger than steel, harder than diamond. It's got all of these super properties. Of course, it's what you do with things like this that are really relevant to all of us as human beings. So, Chris, can you give us an example of how you take advantage of graphene's super abilities and how you actually make it work? We manufacture a version of graphene. We then turn that into a mixture with a number of other things, with acrylics and various other materials commonly used in pretty much everything we know, to make, if you like, a paint or an ink that you can put across a textile or a surface of some kind and utilize that to send a signal through. And we do that with such a low amount of electrical charge through it that it's almost imperceptible. And we capture the changes that take place as a result of pressure or moisture that uh, can change the conductivity of that material. We capture that data to determine what happened on that surface. Looking at the state of the technology now and also looking into the future, what are some of the applications for the graphene-based technologies that you're creating? We started with making a material that could be used to identify when there were leaks in dams. That was the first thing that we uh, put into the market some years ago. And then more recently, we've been really focusing on what we can do within a far more domestic, if you like, application. We've developed a sensing flooring mat that could be turned into a network of mats. And what we're doing at the moment is we're starting to deploy that to go into buildings that will enable you to do counting of the number of people that go into a room so that you can then provide the reports on how many people were there and essentially create compliance counting. In a number of places, we've got a further product that's currently being prototyped, and this is a fall detection uh, device for aged care to monitor and report if people fall down. Aging is the biggest economic challenge, other than climate change, that there is in any Western economy. To manage aged care, you have to have sensing environments wholly sensing apartments, houses, etc., And you have to be able to provide a way of monitoring people, not only monitoring them, but 
providing feedback to them in terms of entertainment, in terms of an understanding of what their needs are. And over the next, I would say to you with real confidence that over the next five to 10 years, that every aspect of residential care for people who are elderly will be driven by an understanding that you have to have sensing and data being generated that will communicate and provide elevated care management. From sensing mats to IoT networks to data collection and privacy, connectivity in a smart city is a complex undertaking. But to give us a simple overview, here's Kyra Rautenbach from Waterfall's development partner, Attack. Connectivity enables multiple systems to deliver on the goals of a smart city. Connectivity ensures that all smart city systems are able to communicate with each other. Together, data and connectivity are the backbone of a smart city. Smart cities rely on a lot of systems that integrate seamlessly to deliver on their promise of a better life for their citizens. That includes those clean streets, the impressive buildings, the green spaces and efficient transport networks. But all of those elements rely on the invisible network of connectivity and data to make the smart city dream a reality. This has been another episode of the Waterfall Podcast. Find all the episodes on your favorite podcast platform, as well as on the Cliff Central and Go Waterfall apps.